We continue to delve into this dark time as Pastor Phil turns our attention now to Revelation chapter 6. Let's join him now to hear more. In a one world peaceful government, but in the middle of the last seven years, something happens and he becomes a bloodthirsty tyrant. He uproots three of the leaders of the ten nations and he basically seizes control of the world. But I just want you to understand that Initially, it says it was given to him a great sword. The world gives him initially his authority. And the sword, meaning the the power of capital punishment to kill anybody who doesn't get in line with what he wants to do. You know, the world is going to think, well, you know, we're going to have world peace. You know, we have to, if you want to make an omelet, you've got to break a few eggs. You know, if you want to have world peace, we've got to sacrifice some people who refuse to get on board. But initially, he is going to be pretty much a man of peace. But ultimately, understand, as he turns and becomes a bloodthirsty military tyrant, realize this, though, that ultimately the authority that is given to him comes from God. I think that sword was given to him from heaven, in a sense, where God is giving to the world a leader that they desire, you know, somebody that is a a kind of a leader they want, charismatic a man who is not a man of war, who will bring peace, you know, that kind of thing. The world's screaming for peace. And they're willing to give up pretty much anything to get it. But this leader is not only going to be what they desire, he's going to be what they deserve. And he's going to show his true colors. And God is going to use him to judge this world because he's going to take a lot of lives. The world wants peace, and they're going to put in a man of peace, so-called. Well, God sent a man of peace 2,000 years ago, the Prince of Peace. The world rejected him. He said, I came, and came to you in my Father's name, and me you did not receive. Another will come in his own name. Him you will receive, speaking of the Antichrist, who will come as a pseudo-man of peace. But when the world says peace and safety, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, then sudden destruction comes upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So this guy's going to show his true colors. He is going to slaughter a lot of people, all because the people of this world rejected God and rejected his authority over their lives, rejected the Messiah. And so now God gives to them a leader that they deserve. Kind of like King Saul. Remember when the people cried out in Samuel's day? Of course, in Samuel's day, uh, there was a theocracy in Israel. God ruled. God governed. God was king over the nation. But after a while, the people didn't want that. They said, look, we want to be like the nations around us. They all get to have a king. Why can't we have an earthly king? So the people came to Samuel, and Samuel felt rejected. And he went before the Lord, and the Lord says, no, Samuel, they haven't rejected you from ruling over them. They've rejected me. And I'm going to give them the king that they want. Of course, tall, dark, and handsome Saul, who started out pretty decent, right? But then showed his true colors. 
and became a tyrant. And this is how the Antichrist is going to be. Look, this is all about the people of this world saying, we will not have God, the true and living God, rule over us. We are going to do what we want to do. And if we have to, we'll make gods that are in line with what we want to do. But we will not have God, the God of heaven, rule over us. And so God says, it's fine. You don't want my rule? A loving, kind, merciful, benevolent rule? You want an earthly ruler? I'm going to give you a ruler, one that you desire, one that you deserve. Well, the third seal, verse 5, and when he looked, excuse me, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. Black is associated with famine. There are numerous passages we could look at. Let me just read one to you out of Lamentations chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Now their appearance is blacker than soot. They go unrecognized in the, in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones and has become as dry as wood. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. For these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. And in the scriptures, the Bible likens famine and people that are starving, uh, it likens it to blackness, even in appearance. And so this third seal is broken. And a black horse, speaking of famine, a denarius is the equivalent or was the equivalent at that time of a day's wage for a common working man or a soldier. Normally, a day's wage would have purchased eight measures of wheat and 24 measures of barley. But during this period of time, it will take an entire day's wage to buy just enough food to feed one person for a day. I do think, though, that what you may not see directly, it implies a period of controlled rationing by the Antichrist and the government of this world. It's interesting in verse 6, it says, do not harm the oil and the wine. The oil and wine are a way of saying luxuries. Things like cosmetics and toiletries and liquor. In other words, the common people are suffering a shortage of basic necessities while the rich have no lack even of luxury items. You have two classes of people. You have the poor and you have the rich during this time. There's no middle class. Scales, in other words, this third writer, it was given to him a pair of scales in his hand. Uh, that speaks of commerce. Don't forget now the Antichrist, and we'll learn more about this in chapter 13, but the Antichrist is going to control the world's economy. He's going to give everybody a number so that you can't buy or sell or work without that number. He's going to control the world's economy, and it's not going to be a fair distribution of things, as we have just seen. Many people are going to go hungry. If you can't work, in other words, you know, it's not like a man works and provides for himself and his family. Everybody's going to have to work to provide enough food just for themselves for the day. Those that can't work are going to starve to death. Famine always follows warfare. Look, we are not living in an agrarian culture anymore. We are living in an industrial culture. Therefore, we depend on other people to grow our food and to provide us with clean, safe drinking water. At this time, we're not going to have any of that. 
And so, you know, there's going to be famine, which is going to lead to death, and death breeds disease. You get the idea. Well, the fourth seal in verse 7 is opened. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. The fourth seal represents death by warfare, natural disasters including earthquakes, death from plagues, and and it says here uh, also by wild beasts. Pale uh, is a Greek word, the Greek word chloris, uh, and it means kind of a, a pale green in color. Death and Hades follow after this writer. Of course, death claims the physical body. Hades claims the soul. So, terrible time. As we read this, though, we see as civilization begins to break down and crumble, so does our defenses against disease begin to crumble. Uh, No doubt there's going to be no sanitation at this time, no, no clean drinking water. It's going to lead to cholera dysentery, other diseases like Ebola, HIV. Uh, I think biological warfare could also be in view here. I don't know if you realize this, but after World War I, more people died of influenza and typhoid than those who died of casualties of the war. I mean, the aftermath of war is pretty ugly. And it says here again that this writer was given the power to kill with sword, hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. One author said, and I really think that he's right on this, he said, rats have been responsible for uncounted millions of deaths throughout history, both by eating food supplies and especially by spreading disease. The most infamous and devastating occurrence of rat-borne disease was the Black Death, a 14th century outbreak of bubonic plague that wiped out one-fourth to one-third of Europe's population. Can you imagine that? In a world ravaged by war, famine, and disease, the rat population may run wild. Also, the word beast is a Greek word that's used in Acts 28, verses 4 and 5, of deadly poisonous serpents. And it could be that during this time there's a dramatic increase in deadly snakes across the earth that bite many, and many are are killed. uh, You know, in uh, the Old Testament, God said in several places that when he judged people, At times he used the hornet or the bee. And, of course, you've got killer bees today and different things like that. So um, God is going to use nature to judge man, and it's going to take different forms. Now, these four judgments coming upon the whole earth parallel the judgments that God poured out on Jerusalem. And I want you to turn to Ezekiel, first of all, chapter 5. I want to look at a couple of these. I want to show you the parallels. In Ezekiel 5, verse 17, it says, God is speaking, So I will send against you famine and wild beasts, and they will bereave you. Pestilence and blood shall pass through you, and I will bring the sword against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Keep your finger there, because I want you to turn back to it in a minute. But turn over to Ezekiel 14 for a moment, verse 21. For thus says the Lord God, How much more it shall be when I send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem, the sword and famine and wild beasts and pestilence, 
to cut off man and beast from it. So God has used these kinds of things in the past. And I believe that the um, reference here in Ezekiel about God used that to judge Jerusalem was kind of like a, a, a precursor to what God was going to do to the whole world at one point who had rebelled against him. In fact, in Ezekiel 5, the context of verse 17 you'll find in verses 12 through 16, and it indicates that famine, beasts, pestilence, and the sword or warfare are expressions of God's wrath. In verses 15 and verses 13 and 15 of Ezekiel 5, there appears two of the six most common Hebrew words used for the anger and wrath of God. The words uh, hema, which refers to a burning and consuming wrath, and ap, ap, which refers to anger. What, what am I doing here? What, where am I going? Well, don't let anybody tell you that the first three and a half years don't constitute the wrath of God. There are those that try to say the first three and a half years are not tribulation. They're the beginning of sorrows. They're what man does to his fellow man. They're not really the wrath of God at all. And I beg to differ. The first four seals are definitely a reference to the wrath of God being poured out upon this world. God has used these things in the past to judge Israel. He's going to use them again to judge the entire world. He calls them my four severe judgments in Ezekiel 14, verse 21. And when God pours out these judgments, the first four seals, we are told that one-fourth of the earth's population die. Now, if the earth is roughly six billion people, then that means a billion and a half people are going to be killed during the first four seals. Folks, that is the combined population, if you can imagine this, of all of South America, every person gone, dead. Central America, Mexico, the United States, Canada, and all of Europe. That's about a billion and a half people. All dead. And these are only called the beginning of sorrows. That's a pretty frightening thought. I mean, as terrible as those judgments are, they're just the preliminaries of God's wrath. Things are going to get much worse because Jesus called them the beginning of birth pangs. And, of course, you women know that birth pangs start off less intense and more frequent, uh, you know, I mean, excuse me, and uh, space farther apart. But the closer you come to the birth of the child, they get more intense. They come more rapidly. That's exactly what's going to happen to the world these judgments are going to start out kind of, if I can say light, that's I, I, hard to imagine that these are light, what we just described. But they're going to progress to the seven years, become increasingly more catastrophic, quicker in, in the sense, in greater frequency, until the world is just about ready to be totally destroyed. And then Jesus returns to establish the kingdom. Uh, that's why I'm so thankful and excited about what Jesus said in Revelation 3, verse 10, when he told the faithful church of Philadelphia, his true church, which is right now on the earth, he said, because you have kept the word of my patience, I will also keep you from the hour of tribulation that is coming upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, we are raptured up into heaven, just as Jesus promised us. Chapter 5, verse 9, we're seen around the throne of God praising Him. 
who has redeemed us out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And we're standing around the throne worshiping God. And then chapter 6, Jesus steps up, takes the scroll out of the Father's right hand, begins to break the seals. And God's wrath is being poured out upon the earth, first in tribulation and then in great tribulation. But we're so thankful we're not going to be down here to see it. Well, verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you avenge, excuse me, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would die uh, was added to their numbers. Uh, These are the martyrs that are killed during the first four seals. During the first three and a half years of the seven, uh, we talk about this being a relative time of peace. Well, for the world, but not for those who stand up for the Lord. These are people that get converted after the church is raptured out of here. You say, well, how do they get converted if the church is gone? Who witnesses to them? Well, first of all, we're going to leave behind a lot of books and Bibles, a lot of tapes, a lot of CDs. Hey, people know. I mean, there's a lot of people you're witnessing to right now that are writing you off as a, as a weirdo. When this whole thing, you know, when the rapture happens, believe me, they're going to be breaking down church doors, grabbing tapes, grabbing Bibles, grabbing commentaries. They're going to want to know what's going on. They've heard the, the rapture is going to happen at one point. Now they realize it's happened. I mean, they're going to be witnessed to in books, in tapes, and so on. They're going to have Bibles. They're going to be able to read them. They're going to get saved. They're going to stand up for the Lord. They're not going to follow the Antichrist. They're not going to take his number. They're not going to be able to buy or sell. Some of them will die of famine. Others will no doubt be beaten and killed by people that are so loyal to the Antichrist that anybody who doesn't follow him must be some kind of a devil worshiper. And so these folks are going to be killed. They don't have bodies yet. It says their souls were uh, under the altar there, right? Because they have not had received their glorified bodies yet. We have our glorified bodies. We've already been raptured. We've already been joined with our glorified body, which has been resurrected. But God tells them to hang on until the full number of all their fellow sir, uh, brethren who are going to die during this period is fulfilled. So hang in there. I want you to notice, though, that they are souls and they are conscious. The Bible does not teach soul sleep. The only thing that sleeps, quote unquote, is the physical body. And that's just a way of saying it gets it dies, it gets buried, but it's going to be resurrected someday. Now, of course, you're talking about Christians, those Christians who have died already, their soul and spirit are with the Lord. Their body is in the grave at the rapture. Their body is resurrected. It's reunited with their soul and spirit instantaneously. Of course, we who are alive and remain, we're just going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and go through an instant metamorphosis at that time, receive our glorified bodies. This mortal will put on immortality and so on. But the Bible never talks about the soul in terms of sleep. Every time we see people that are dead off the earth, they're either in Hades or they're in heaven, they're conscious. Luke 16 Uh, Lazarus and the rich man, remember? The rich man was in Hades. 
the torment side, he was conscious, he was, he was feeling the torment and so on. These souls are in heaven, they are conscious. Just so you understand, that's not something the Bible teaches, soul sleep. But they say, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Remember we said the term earth dwellers is used ten times in Revelation. It always, always refers to unbelievers. Those that have made this earth their home. This is not our home as believers. We are pilgrims and sojourners. We're only passing through. And notice that they are not saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Or, Father, don't lay this sin, the sin of killing us, to their charge. They're saying, Lord, how long before you get them? How long before you wipe them out, Lord? How long before you judge them? And that is because the age of grace, the church age, is over with. It ended with the rapture. We are now in the day of God's wrath and judgment that's being poured out. It's a different time period. These, in verse 6, are not church saints. They are tribulation saints. Verse 12, John says, I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, so it doesn't matter now if you're wealthy or poor, all unbelievers are going to be impacted the same way. They hid themselves in caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Verse 12 lists the first of three mighty earthquakes that the book of Revelation records. The other ones are recorded in chapter 11, verse 13. And chapter 16, verses 18 to 20. John said in verse 13, The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Now, this is not, these are not literal stars. The uh, Greek word, it's the Greek word ester, and it simply means a shining heavenly body. I believe these are meteorites. Meteorites that are entering the earth's atmosphere and as they enter, they begin to burn, and they give the impression to John that he is seeing. And, and I think John is not necessarily saying he's, that the stars of heaven, the ones that you know he knew were way out there, are falling on the earth. I mean, people in John's day, they had seen you know these, these streaks of light coming across the sky. He may not have known what they were, but that's what he's describing. Something from outer space entering the atmosphere and beginning to, to light up bright, a shining heavenly body. Well, it could be a meteorite. In fact, it could very well be that the earth at this point passes through the tail of a great comet. And if it's big enough, and if it comes close enough to the earth, its gravitational force could cause massive earthquakes on the earth. Or John might have seen a group of asteroids striking the earth. And, of course, as they enter the atmosphere, they begin to burn and look like stars falling uh, from the heavens. 
Uh, I saw a program not long ago about meteors and and asteroids and comets and things. And the scientists were all saying, look, it's not a matter of if we're going to get hit by an asteroid or something like meteor. It's when. It's when. It's going to happen. Now, we see in the book of Revelation, I think twice, something hits the earth. John describes one of them as a great, something that looks like a great mountain burning. And it hits the ocean and destroys a third of life in the ocean. I mean, it's going to be a pretty unbelievable time of cataclysm and upheaval. And uh, these asteroids, and you remember several years ago, I think five or six asteroids hit the planet Jupiter. Uh, They actually filmed it. We had um, a probe uh, circling uh, Jupiter. And we we were able to, to actually, they were actually able to video these things hitting Jupiter. They left quite uh, an impression. I forgot if it was they they actually changed in some way its rotation. It was pretty devastating. If these asteroids or meteors are big enough, they could really mess up the Earth's rotation or even the Earth's tilt. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. He said,